He's going to tell us a little bit about his ministry, so I haven't given him too much of an intro. Pastor Chris. Praise God. Let's all stand up together, please. And let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to your presence in the name of your son, Jesus, who died for us upon the cross, taking upon himself all of our sins, carrying all our diseases. Lord Father, I thank you for your grace that is given to us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you said where two or three of us are gathered together in your name, you're there in the midst of them. So, Lord, we acknowledge your presence in our midst. I ask you to reach out with your mighty hand and touch each person in this place, both this morning and in the evening, Lord. Touch them at the point of need in their lives. Most of all, Lord, may their faith and vision be increased, Father. We ask you, Father, that you do such a work in us that you would be glorified in and through our lives so that we may bear much fruit for you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. My name is Christopher Alam. As uh, Pastor Chris said, I was here just when the pandemic started. Praise God. So I'm glad to be back in Australia again after an absence of three years. It's good to be back here. But um, I want to start by showing you a PowerPoint. This talks a little bit about the work we are doing, and I'll tell you when to go to the next slide, okay? Whoever is handling it, I'll tell you. So this is the name of a ministry, Dynamis World Ministries, reaching the lost with the gospel, planting churches, training pastors. We also have an orphanage. We have two church planting Bible schools, one in Africa and the other is in... Uh, is this going out of a live stream? Okay. The other is in a country in Asia where Christians are persecuted for the gospel. So anyway, let's go to the next picture, please. This is one of our campaigns in Africa. This is actually from earlier this year um, in Zambia. And, uh, and in this campaign, you know, they, they haven't had, the, the whole country had been shut down for three years. So we came there and did the first crusade uh, in three years, and there was such excitement, a lot of people came, and so this is one of our altar calls. And in this crusade, on the last night, we always pray for people to, people to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And we had 25,000 baptized with the Holy Ghost on the last night in this campaign. And the next picture is, uh, this is in another place, uh, also in Zambia, and the next picture this is also in Zambia, altar call, the final night. Here also we had 25,000 baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we did, um, we do about, typically we do eight campaigns a year in Africa. And we do four in Asia, about 12 campaigns in all. And now I'm going to be very careful in saying this because the only true bookkeeping of souls is in heaven. But by my conservative estimate, we pray for salvation for between 800,000 to 1.2 million people every year give their lives to Jesus in these crusades. Thank you for your enthusiasm. The next picture. Uh, this, is, uh, this, is, uh, this, is in a, this is in a closed country in Asia. Uh, you know, this is in a closed country in Asia where there's actually persecution of Christians. And uh, this particular crusade, when I was on the platform, the speaker of their, of their parliament is a believer, and he was with me. And he said, Pastor, 
only 1% of these people are of Christian background. And, and that means Catholics and Lutherans, and every, every, including everybody. And in this city, there was actually only one church with about 10 people. But people came. Actually, there were more people in the meeting than live in the town because God was doing miracles and people were coming. They were renting buses and trucks from as far as six hours away, filling vehicles and bringing people in ambulances. So, uh, I mean, we had, we had crowds like this uh, every night. And many people, many, many people were were saved and so one thing we have done we have started a church planting school because there's so few Christians there so we planted a church planting school where we can train ministers and send them out to plant churches in some of these areas the next picture this is also another crusade in Asia same country as you can see uh, the, the sheer numbers of people who come out to hear the gospel and in this area I think it was uh, the the number of, I mean, the percentage of Christians. When I say Christians, I mean nominal Christians, including Catholics and everything, was about 5%. And that's about as good as it gets. And anyway, so this is another campaign. The next one is, uh, this is Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> My wife, Britta, and myself, she's from Sweden, as you can see. So this is the last time she was with me in Africa. And the next picture is our team in Asia. And uh, the guy on the right, he's American. He's married to a local girl and has lived there 17 years. He actually he used to serve on my team in Africa at one time. Then he moved here to Asia. So that's our team there. And the next picture is this is our team in Africa. So this is our crusade team in Africa. And the next picture. Uh, this is a few miracle pictures. This is, uh, this is a boy who was completely blind, received his sight. And the next one is this woman. She was lame, unable to walk, and got healed, and she began to run and to dance after the Lord healed her. This is uh, also from, this is from Zambia. And the next one is a boy who was born deaf and mute, uh, hears and speaks for the first time in his life. And, um, and the next one is, uh, this is a man who was lame, gets up and begins to walk and run uh, with one of our pastors who, who was with him. And the next picture is, this is a child who was born paralyzed. He walks for the first time in her life when Jesus touches her. And the next one is, uh, this is uh, two Buddhist monks uh, who came to the uh, to the crusade and got healed, and uh, and uh, they were completely deaf and God healed them. And after that, the abbot of the monk he began to send all his monks with any kind of sickness to our crusade. And uh, and in the interesting thing, they were all healed. Each one of them, nobody went back sick. So there were people with deafness and all kinds of diseases. So because of that, they kind of respected us because you know we were ministering to their monks. And I think this is the last picture. So I just wanted to thank you very much. And uh, I just wanted to show these to you. So anyway, so this is my, uh, this is my real day job. Uh, I spend my time on the field. And I have done this since 1983, going to these countries for 40 years, preaching the gospel, planting churches. And we have seen over 1,500 churches 
planted as a result of our efforts. Now, I stopped counting in 1500. It's very hard to keep track. So I thought 1500 was a respectable figure, so I stopped counting there. And, you know, so I don't uh, go beyond that. So, praise God. The Lord is good, and God is true and faithful to his word. And um, I, uh, I live in the United States. I was actually born a Muslim, and uh, I got saved at 21. I'd never seen a Bible, never met a Christian uh, until I was 21. And Jesus touched me, and I got saved. And uh, God called me to preach the gospel, and uh, I was then arrested for preaching. I spent almost a year in prison, and I was going to be executed. So that's when I escaped to Europe. I went to Sweden to attend Bible school. And when I was in Sweden, I found out that the pastor who, was an, who, who had baptized me was an American missionary. He was killed by the fundamentalist for baptizing me. So I applied for political asylum. And so I became, you know, I, I lived in Sweden for about 20 years. And that's why my wife uh, is Swedish. So lived there, and then many years ago, we moved to the United States. That's where we live right now. So that's, uh, in a nutshell, my short version of my story. Praise God. Let's go to John chapter 11. And uh, um, John chapter 11. And when you go to John chapter 11, this is the story of the raising of Lazarus. That's the high point of the 11th chapter of John about Jesus raising up Lazarus. And look what happened in the immediate aftermath of the resurrection of Lazarus. Verses 45 and 46. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. It's very interesting because there was this whole group of Jews uh, who saw the same miracle, the raising up of Lazarus, and some of them believed in Jesus. In fact, many of them believed in Jesus. The majority believed in Jesus. But there were others who had seen the exact same miracle, but instead of believing in him, they went and reported to the Pharisees what Jesus had done because the Pharisees hated Jesus and decided with the Pharisees. And, you know, I've thought of this many, many times, and sometimes people have this assumption, oh, if my uncle just saw a miracle, he'd be saved. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Just because somebody sees a miracle doesn't mean he will get saved. Many will, but there are also those who don't. It takes more than that. It takes the work of God in a man's heart for that person to be saved. A person, for a person to be saved, he has to be convicted in his heart. And that conviction is a work of the Holy Spirit, and that can only happen when we preach the gospel to them. When we preach the word of God, we preach the gospel to them, that is what brings people under conviction. Miracles are good, they have their place, but just miracles don't save anybody, okay? So anyway, now what happened is that uh, at the, the result of this, if you see, if you see later on in the chapter, a few verses down, it says, verse 53, then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. So uh, these Pharisees, when these people came and reported what Jesus had done, they thought Jesus is such a troublemaker and is getting worse and worse. So let's do this. Let's just kill him. You know, we'll put him to death and the problem will be solved. Now, let's go to chapter 12. In chapter 12, we read from uh, verse 9. 
Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, this is interesting because it's very evident from the scriptures that the, the miracle of the raising of Lazarus took place just before the Passover. Just before the Passover. And the Passover was the biggest feast of Israel. They had seven major feasts and the Passover was the big feast. And the unique thing about the Passover was that at the Passover, Jews from all over the known world of that time used to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And those who had the means used to stay over until Pentecost, which was 50 days after, after Passover. Those who had the economic means, they used to stay over, you know, for those 50 days and celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, which was the second, the next biggest feast after Passover. So when Jesus had raised up Lazarus, at that time you already had these Jews from all over the place. They happened to be in Jerusalem. And so the timing was very strategic. Lazarus was raised up and suddenly people from all over the world knew what had happened. And that's why it says that many of them, they knew that he was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also whom he had raised from the dead. So they wanted to see Jesus. They had heard of this miracle. So they wanted to see Jesus, but they also wanted to see Lazarus because Lazarus was living proof of the fact that Jesus had raised him from the dead. But look at the, the 10th verse. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. I like these people. They had simple solutions for complex problems. <laughs> let's kill Jesus. Okay, by the way, let's get rid of Lazarus also. Just off with his head, you know, just kill them. And so then what happened, and verse 11 says, and because by that reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. So a lot of people uh, be believed in Jesus because of this. So this was the point of time when the ministry of Jesus was, you can say it was at the height of its popularity at that time. Of course, the religious establishment, the Pharisees hated him. They wanted to kill him. But the general populace, the general, you know, the people, they, they were for Jesus because they were so excited about what had happened. Now, the next day, they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And that's when, uh, you know, that famous event took place when Jesus came riding on a donkey and they took off their coats and they, you know, they threw it on the road and Jesus came riding on a donkey and they were waving palm leaves and they were shouting, Hosanna in the highest, you know, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now what happened during that time, you know, uh, if you look at the historical background, Israel had been under foreign occupation for almost four centuries. And, um, and there had been many, many uprisings. So there was a lot of, uh, a lot of dissension among the people because the Romans were killing Jews, they were executing them for minor infractions. The people were uh, tired of living as slaves under the Romans and they were fed up and they were looking for a deliverer, a Messiah who would come and set them free. And there had been many, many uprisings over these uh, you know, 400 years, but all these uprisings had been crushed. So now they're looking for a, a new person who would rise up and lead them. 
and here comes Jesus. And Jesus had miracles. And, uh, and when Jesus would open his mouth and speak, people's hearts were gripped. And so you had these people who looked at Jesus as the potential deliverer. And uh, you remember after the feeding of the 5,000, they tried to make Jesus king by force, if you remember that. But Jesus refused. He was not interested in becoming their king. And so what happened now, when Jesus was coming into town and, you know, Jesus had done this great miracle, raised up Lazarus. And, and it was not just a rumor because Lazarus was there to, for everyone to see. Here comes Jesus riding on a donkey. And these people threw off all their constraints and they began to wave palm branches. Now the palm branch was actually the symbol of the zealots. And the zealots, zealots were the liberation movement who wanted to rise up and fight the Romans and, 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 and kill them and throw them out. And then the other thing was that it was uh, high treason to call anybody a king other than Caesar. You know, if you, if you pointed to anybody and called him a king, I mean, he could be put to death. That was treason. But they threw off all their constraints and they began to wave those palm branches and they began to shout, Hosanna to the king, Hosanna the highest who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus came riding in a donkey. So he was at a place when his ministry was more popular than ever before. So anyway, you go read this story and then we come to, we come to verse 20. It says, and there were certain Greeks, and these are Jews who came from, who had come from Greece, among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, who was one of the disciples, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip comes and tells Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus, and Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a crown of wheat, a corn of wheat, fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now, let us pause here a while. Here is Jesus at the height of his popularity. And there are these Greeks who want to see him. And, uh, and Philip comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, uh, I mean, uh, this ministry is going great. You know, I mean, we are doing so great. And there's some Greeks who want to see you. And Jesus immediately begins to talk about his death, which is really amazing. Because I live in America, and if Jesus was an American preacher, he would have probably said something. You know, our ministry is popular, more popular than it has ever been before. All these people are following us. Do you know how many followers I have on Twitter and Instagram? I mean, the dead are being raised up. This is fantastic. We are riding on a wave of popularity greater than ever before. So why don't we ride this wave and milk this thing? Ministry is growing, and we'll postpone the cross. Maybe three years. Four years, three years, four years. We will ride this wave now, because this has to be of God. Couldn't be of the devil. The devil wouldn't want me to be more popular. It has to be of God. So let us do this. Let's postpone the cross. But not Jesus. He wouldn't let his success and popularity of the moment 
distract him from the real reason why he had come to this earth, and that was to die upon the cross for sinners. So when these Greeks came to see him, you know, actually it was Philip and Andrew told, telling Jesus, and Jesus begins to talk about his death. He says, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. He likens himself to a grain of wheat. And what he's saying is that if a grain of wheat, it remains a grain of wheat, it will remain a grain of wheat, a sole grain of wheat. But if it is buried into the ground, only then will it sprout and bear fruit. So a grain of wheat has to die in order to bear fruit. So for me to fulfill my purpose, I have to die. And then it says, he who loves his life shall lose it. And he who hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now, this is very disturbing. Because first he, he talks about his own death. Now he talks about our death, you and me. That if you want to follow me, you will also have to die. If you want to follow me, are you willing to follow me? Because I'm going to the cross. Are you willing to go to the cross for me? Now, this is a part of Christianity that isn't spoken of very much. We like to talk about the good kind of Christianity, where there is healing, there's prosperity, there's blessings, for you and me. And of course, those are part of the gospel. I believe those. I believe Jesus is a healer. Jesus meets our needs. I believe all that. But this is a very crucial part of Christianity. You see, when I got saved in a Muslim country, three days after I got saved, I saw a Bible for the first time. And, and, and the guy, you know, I told him, listen, I just got saved. I want to follow Jesus. Can you help me? And this is what he said. He said, you want to follow Jesus? I said, yes. He said, do you know the conditions for following Jesus? I said, I didn't know there were conditions. I received Jesus. It feels good. I'm saved. And I, he said, no, there are conditions. Then that, that, that's when he took out a Bible, opened the Bible. And that was the first time these eyes were seeing a Bible. And he put his, his finger on a verse and said, read this loudly. And this was the first verse that I ever read from my Bible. And you know what it said? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. He made me read it thrice and he said, do you see the conditions for following Jesus? I said, I see it. He said, I have to deny myself. Then he said, are you willing to take up your cross and and, and follow Jesus every day. I said, I don't know what it means to take up the cross. He said, when Jesus took up the cross, he was going to the place of his execution. In the days of Jesus, if you ever saw a man walking, carrying a cross, he was going to the place of his execution. And he said, are you willing to die for Jesus? We love life. We want to live for Jesus. But Jesus said, are you willing to die for me? And then this man said to me, he said, he said, unless you're willing to die for him, you're not fit to live for him. 
And that was the Christianity that I was introduced into. And that for me is living. Living is to lay down your life for Jesus and have something to live for, something that is worth dying for. And I want to challenge you young people, do you have anything in your life that is worth dying for? Do you have anything in your life that is worth sacrificing your life for? Anything worth laying down your life for? Laying down all your ambitions for? We all have dreams and ambitions or what I want and what I want to purchase. And, you know, we want to be successful. We want to have money. We want to have all this, that, and the other. But what are the things in your vision that have eternal value? Is there anything that you're willing to die for? Because those are the only things that can carry you through to victory. Amen. So faith is not just about believing God for this and having that, but faith is about laying down your life. When we talk about missions, missions is not just about putting some money in the offering or making a pledge. It's about laying down your life. That is consecration. So... Jesus, look at, look what he says, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. He was really troubled because he was going to die in his humanity. He was the son of God, but he was also the son of man in his humanity. He says, he says, what more shall I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? He said, no, because it was for this hour I came to the world. I came to this world for this. And I thought of that many times. I have one life to live. There was a day when I was born, and that day when I was born, that was celebrated every year. But there will also come a day when I will die. And you will die. And that is inevitable. You will die. It doesn't matter how good your doctors are, or how far medical technology has gone. You will die. So. It is better to die looking back and say, I gave it my best shot. Hallelujah. I live for Jesus. I didn't live and die for myself, but I lived and died to bear fruit for the glory of God. You know, many people, they're concerned about their legacy, you know, especially when people get older, legacy. Legacy is, what will people say about me after I'm gone? Who cares? I, I honestly, I'm 69 years old. I, I, I have some years ahead of me. I am not concerned about what people say about me because in my 47 years of ministry, I've never lived to please people. And, uh, you know, I, I go to churches. They ask, what should I call you? And I say, I've been called anything and everything from apostle to antichrist. So you pick, take your pick and call me what you want. It's, it doesn't matter what people think of you or if there are monuments with your name on it. You know what I'm looking forward to? I'm not looking forward to a legacy. I'm not even interested. What I'm looking forward to, I ask myself, how many people will be there waiting for me when I go through the gates of heaven? I want to see people there who will say, Brother Christopher, I am so glad, I'm so happy for you that it is because of you that I am here today. 
May it be so with your life and my life. That heaven is populated. That heaven is bigger and sweeter because of you. Because you shared the gospel. Because you laid down your life for Jesus. Because you made sacrifices. Hallelujah. You have only one life to live. Please make it count. Don't let people say, well, he lived for himself. He was so successful. Uh, look at, you know, he had this house and he had this car and now he's gone. Oh, praise God. No. No, no, no. Let it be different. Let it be different. You have one life laid down. Make it count for something. Amen. Pastor, we need to preach this kind of stuff more. Anyway, but look at this speech he makes. Verse 23, he starts his speech in verse 23 saying, he says, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then in verse 28, he ends the speech by saying, Father, glorify thy name. He's talking about the glory of God. Father, let your name be glorified. Now, you know, I've thought of it, the glory of God. What is the glory of God? And some people say, you know, the glory of God is when there's something, something powerful happens. Like I, w I was preaching in a place and, 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 and there's a guy who was dead, who was raised up in the meeting. And that's glorious. You know, when a miracle happens and there's, there's a note of victory that we call that glorious. And Jesus is glorified. We have a worship service and everybody feels this, this surge of victory and we call it glorious. But here Jesus... Jesus is talking about something else as being glorious. He's talking about the time when they would arrest him and they would beat him and they would crown him with thorns and they would whip him and, you know, and then he would stand there covered with his own blood and lacerated and wounded and uh, they would make him carry the cross to Calvary with the blasphemies and verbal abuse of people ringing in his ears and he would die a lonely man upon that cross rejected by God rejected by man and that horrible bloody gruesome death he called that as being glorious now I want to give you five reasons why the cross of Jesus is so glorious are you ready are you ready Five reasons why the cross of Jesus is so glorious. Why the cross was so glorious. The first reason, reason number one. We see in verse 31, Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world. The first reason why the cross of Jesus is so glorious is because upon that cross, God judged the sins of the world. When Jesus was upon that cross, God took the sins of all mankind from the sins of Adam to the last human being who will be born on this earth. God took all of your sins and my sins, our open sins, our secret sins. He took it all. Our little sins, our big sins, and he took them and put them upon Jesus. And he rejected Jesus. 
turned his face away from him and let Jesus pay the price for the sins of the whole world. So sin was judged upon the cross. And because of that, there is salvation for all mankind. In fact, God is no more in judgment mode today. There will come a time when there will be a final reckoning, a final judgment when all mankind will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But the wonderful, the good news is that today is not that time of judgment, but this is the era of the gospel. This is the time we preach the good news when God is extending his hand and offering forgiveness even to the worst of sinners, no matter what people have done the message that we have as the church is to tell sinners that come now and let us reason together says the Lord though your sins be as scarlet they shall be white as snow hallelujah that is the first reason why the cross is so glorious because at the cross the shackles and the chains of sin are broken there is forgiveness of sin for all mankind. There is no man on this earth whose sins are so great that he's beyond redemption. There is salvation for everybody. That is why the cross of Jesus is so glorious. The second reason why the cross of Jesus is so glorious is in verse 31, same verse. He says, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. That means that upon the cross, God decisively and once and for all defeated Satan. Colossians 2.15 says, it says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. That Jesus openly defeated the devil. He stripped him of his power and defeated the devil. So the devil is still around, but he has no power over the believer. In fact, Jesus has not only defeated the devil, but he has given you and me authority over the devil. And he has said to us, in my name, you shall cast out devils. Hallelujah. That's one of the things we do when we go to Africa, we go all over the world. We don't go around preaching about the devil. I never do deliverance seminars. I don't want to waste my time talking about the devil. Why should I talk about the devil when I have a Jesus to talk about? But of course, if the devil shows up, we deal with him. And we say, come out of him in the name of Jesus. And sometimes, you know, I've had occasion when the devil would want to talk back to me. Once there was a demon-possessed woman began to hiss like a snake and, and you know, her eyeballs rolled back and, and, you know, you could just see the whites of her eyes staring at me. And that's scary. And my knees were having fellowship, you know. I was scared. But then I suddenly realized that the greater one lives in me. The Bible says, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. So I said to the said to devil, I said, you come out of her in Jesus' name. Then a deep man's voice said from inside, I don't know, the devil is stupid, and said, I will come out if you give me a chicken. <laughs> I was kind of surprised. I said, devil, if I had a chicken, I love chicken. I would fry it and eat it myself. You know, you get no chicken from me. You come out in Jesus' name. <laughs> <coughs> Hallelujah. 
Reason number three why the cross of Jesus is so glorious is that upon the cross, Jesus removed the law of Moses as our means of salvation. In Colossians 2.14, it says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. So Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses. Then he took the law of Moses and nailed it to the cross and opened the way for people to be saved without having to attain perfection through the law of Moses by his grace alone. Hallelujah. We are saved by his grace alone. God bless Moses. He has his place, but he is not my means of salvation. Jesus is my means of salvation. Hallelujah. Amen. The fourth reason why the cross of Jesus is glorious is that because upon that cross he bore all our physical, emotional, and mental diseases and infirmities. Before they put Jesus upon the cross, they took his clothes off, and the Romans used to have an instrument of torture known as a flagrum. A flagrum was a leather, uh, leather whip with nine belts of leather. And each one of these belts of leather was covered with sharp pieces of metal and bone. And they tied Jesus up and they began to whip him. And with each cut of the whip, pieces of flesh and skin were torn off his back. And his precious blood began to flow from his back. And the Bible says... The psalmist says that plowmen have plowed my back and they have made long furrows. His back looked like a field that had been plowed. So there he stood, covered with his own blood, with pieces of flesh and skin that had been torn off his back on the, on the ground around him. Why did he endure that? The Bible says that surely he has borne our diseases and he has carried our pains and by those stripes upon his back we have been healed. That is why we believe that there is healing at the cross for all your sicknesses and diseases of the mind and your body. Healing and miracles don't come because God is in a good mood or you deserve it or he just does it for whatever reason. He does it because Jesus suffered. Anything that Jesus suffered for upon the cross, it belongs to you. You have, it's not just a privilege for you to be healed, but it is a right. You have a right to claim God's healing power as your portion because Jesus suffered to provide it for you and me. And that's why the cross of Jesus is so glorious because when he was upon that cross, God took our diseases off the mind and body. And I'm bringing this up because I'm saying mind because these days mental diseases are a major thing. These are things people didn't talk about 20 years ago. But let me say, one of my mentors, my spiritual father said, he said, Christopher, just like people can be sick in their body, they can be sick in their mind also. But thank God that through Jesus, we have a healing for mind and body. 
We have healings. We have miracles available to us through mind. And that was, the, that was the fourth reason why the cross of Jesus is so glorious. is because upon that cross, he bore our diseases and he carried all our pains and infirmities. So no matter what, and there are people here who can testify at a different times in their lives, they have been healed from diseases. We can all testify of that because Jesus is a healer. And the reason he's a healer is because he bore our diseases and he carried our pains. Amen. Well, what do I do if they prayed for me and they, I didn't get healed? Well, keep on believing God. Keep on believing God. Do you know most of the people who Jesus healed in the gospel? Have you ever thought of it? It tells you they were ill for many years. Some of them were born that way. But for whatever reason, the way they had to wait, there came a day when Jesus touched them. So it doesn't matter how long you have suffered. Never give up. But look at Jesus. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at your disease. But look at Jesus and say, Jesus bore my diseases and he carried my pains and by his stripes I have been healed. Hallelujah. The next reason why the cross of Jesus is so glorious is in verse 32. He says, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. No, he's not talking about lifting up Jesus in prayer and in worship. He's talking about the cross. And that's what he, he said to Nicodemus when he talked about just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness in the same way I shall be lifted up. So he's talking about his death upon the cross. He says, when I am nailed to the cross and that cross is lifted up for everyone to see, I will draw all men unto me. And you know, that picture I showed you, uh, that huge crowd, you know, as far as the eye could see, you saw nothing but people. And I said only 1% of that area had any Christian background. I remember before, before the meeting, I was saying to the Lord, Lord, what do I say to these people? Because when I'm in America, when I'm in Europe, and I am in Australia, I talk about Jesus. Everybody, you know, at some point or the other, they've heard the name of Jesus. They have a little, little connection to make. They know who I'm talking about. But you go to those countries, they say, who is Jesus? Is he a cricket player? <laughs> They're cricket mad, you know. Is he a movie actor? Is he? They have no idea. And so I said, Lord, what do I, what do I say to them? Because I've got just this amount of time to preach to them. And the Lord said to me, just preach the cross. And this, watch what happens. And I remember I, when I began to preach about the cross, I know after about 20 minutes, suddenly people jumped to their feet and they began to cry. And thousands of people began to run to the front and they went on their knees wanting to be saved. The story of Jesus. There is something about the story of Jesus. And I'm not talking about the seeker-friendly, sanitized Jesus. 
the politically correct Jesus. But I'm talking about the Savior who was whipped and bruised and beaten and spot upon, who, who wore a crown of thorns. When we tell that story, something happens. I still can't explain it, but I do know that when we tell the story, the Holy Spirit comes in and grabs a hold of those who hear that story and makes them aware of their need to be saved. And that's why they say, I need to be saved. Pray for me. I need to be saved. That conviction that comes only when the gospel is preached. Let me finish with this. You know, Paul, the apostle Paul was not a dummy. He was an intelligent man. I mean, he could sit and with the most educated and intelligent people of his day and talk to them. So when Paul came to Athens, that was the first place in the European continent where the gospel was preached. He came to Athens, and I've stood in Mars Hill. That was first, where he first proclaimed the gospel. It's right in Athens. And anyways, when you stand on Mars Hill, it's not a hill. It's really a rock. You stand on top of that, and you look down, and then they'll tell you that that's the place where Paul used to sit and have discourses with the philosophers. And Athens was full of philosophers, and they used to love and sit all day and philosophize. And so Paul had this strategy because, you know, he was a smart man. He could match wits and intelligence with them. So he decided to reach those people through philosophical discourse. So he came and sat with the philosophers and he kind of clothed the gospel message in philosophy and nothing happened. Nothing, nothing of substance really happened because if you read the, I mean, Athens was the big city. It was the capital city. That's why there is no letter in the New Testament to the church in Athens because nothing happened there. So what did he do? The next place he went to was Corinth. And when he went to Corinth, he decided, you know, I'm not going to do my philosophy thing, but I'm going to preach the cross. And he, when he preached the cross in Athens, Miracles happened. People were saved. And the church there was so powerful that two of the greatest letters in the New Testament were written to the church in Athens. And this is what he says to the church in Athens in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read these verses for you before I close. Verses 1 to 5, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Hallelujah. Ladies and gentlemen, there are certain things we have to do. Firstly, we have to give our lives away. We have to give our lives away. 
Jesus doesn't just want to be our savior who promises a lot of things. He wants to be our Lord. We have to give our lives away. Nothing less than that matters. And the second thing, we have to preach the gospel. We have to preach Christ crucified. Only then can God do his work and touch people's lives and people can be saved. We are living in an hour of history when people must be saved. And the only way people can be saved is through the preaching of the gospel. You can read the newspapers and you know, it's not just in the world, but there's sin in the church. That's what I find distressing. The sin that is in the church and the bad testimony that the church has been to the world. But we have to win souls and we can win souls only if the Holy Spirit convicts them. We must preach the gospel and we must step out in faith and believe God that our Jesus is a savior. He's a healer. He's a deliverer. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads together. Pastor Chris, would you come and stand alongside me? While your heads are bowed, because I don't know you all, but I have a question. I want you to ask your question, yourself a question while your heads are bowed. And my question is, uh, I can ask it several ways. One way is, do you need to make things right with God in your own life? Do you need to make things right with God? Or do you need forgiveness of sin? Or some might say, I might ask some, if you were to die, where are you going to spend eternity? If you can answer any of these questions, and you say, Pastor Christopher, I don't know. I really don't know, but I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I want, I want forgiveness and I need to make things right with God. If that is the condition of your soul, just show me your hand. So just lift up one hand high enough for me to see it. God bless you, madam. God bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Anybody else? Right there, there. God bless you. Anybody else? You need to make things right with God. You need your sins to be forgiven. Or you simply, I, if I was to die, I don't know whether I'm going to, where I'm going to spend eternity, but I need to get right. Anybody else? Okay, those of you who lifted up your hands, could you please stand to your feet? Just stand to your feet. If you raised up your hand, nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be embarrassed about. I had to do this thing 48 years ago. If you say, Pastor, I need to get right with God, need to give my life to Jesus. I need forgiveness of sin. Please stand to your feet and I, I would like you to come to the front. Just come to the front and join me here because I want to pray with you. Please leave your seat and come to the front. Nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be embarrassed about. Just come to the front and please make a line. God bless you all. You know, it takes a lot of courage to stand up like this and say, yes, I need Jesus. It takes a lot of courage because there's always people who say yes I need Jesus but 
what will people think of me you always have those but it takes courage thank you jesus father you look at these people look at their hearts thank you father lift up your hands to god please raise up hands to god raise up your hands to god and say after me say lord jesus i come to you this morning i thank you jesus that you died for me upon the cross that you shed your own blood for me that you gave your life for me and this morning i give my life to you i open my heart i ask you to come and live in my heart and live in my life and be my lord and my master i surrender myself to you i receive forgiveness of all my sins lord put your hand upon my life that i may serve you that i may walk with you for you to do your work in my life to make me more like jesus i thank you lord jesus i thank you thank you for touching me thank you for touching my life thank you for touching my heart in the name of jesus father i pray for each one of these precious people because their lives are precious to you let not even one be lost by the wayside but let each one be raised up on the last day i thank you father in the name of jesus in the name of jesus pastor i'm just going to pray last prayer for the sake now i want everyone in the you you guys stay in the front and those of you who are sitting in the back could you stand up stand up now how many of you need prayer you need a healing in your body now tonight as i said i'm out of town uh, out of time tonight we're going to take time to pray for people's needs but i want to pray for people anyway how many of you need a you need a miracle you need a healing you need something you need a touch of god okay all right so what you do is put your hand on the spot where your disease is and i'm going to pray for you please put your hand uh wherever you are. if you've got a if you got a deaf ear stick your finger in the deaf ear you got your eye blind eye put your hand on your eye wherever your trouble is put your hand right there and i'm going to pray father in the name of jesus we come to your holy presence i thank you lord jesus that when you were whipped and bruised and beaten and crucified you bore upon your own self all of our diseases carried all our pains and by your stripes we have been healed and lord jesus you said whatsoever we shall ask the father in your name it shall be done so father i ask you in jesus name to send down the healing anointing of your holy spirit upon these precious people and touch them lord in the name of jesus father first of all i pray for those who have deafness in their ears i ask you to do creative miracles in their ears if anything is missing i ask you to create those missing parts heal them in the name of jesus of nazareth i curse these deaf spirits i command these ears to be opened in the name of jesus father i pray for those who have blindness or depleted eyesight i touch these eyes with the blood of jesus of nazareth i curse every cataract and every eye disease in the name of jesus Father I pray for those who have growths or tumors or cysts or cancers in their bodies 
in the name of Jesus I curse those evil things I command them to dry up and die and disappear in the name of Jesus Father I pray for those who have injuries in their bodies any kind of deformity or injury in their body I ask you Lord I ask you to let your life and your virtue flow into their bodies be healed in the name of Jesus of Nazareth Jesus Christ heals you right now in Jesus name be healed by God's power be healed in the name of Jesus be made whole in the name of Jesus I cover you with the blood of Jesus I cover you with the blood of Jesus I curse every disease every infirmity I curse you in the name of Jesus and father I cover each man woman in this place with the precious blood of Jesus thank you for life and health and healing for them lift up your hands to God please and say father God I thank you for touching me I put my life into your hands I thank you Lord thank you Lord for doing your work in my heart in my soul in my mind in my body in my home in your in my family I thank you I thank you thank you I receive my portion in Jesus name in Jesus name thank you now one last thing 30 seconds I want you to check yourself if you had back trouble bend down touch the ground if there was anything you couldn't do it was your eyes or your ears can you check yourself take about 30 seconds check yourself please take the time next 30 seconds just check yourself check yourself check yourself check yourself check yourself 10 more seconds check yourself move whatever you couldn't move whatever now how many of you you sense that the Lord did something in you uh, and God has touched you. Can you lift up your hand if God has done something? They have lifted high enough, high, 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 high enough so I can see your hand. Okay, praise God. Thank you, Father. Father, for everything you have done, we give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise because you alone are worthy in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor, I'm sorry. Amen. I apologize for going over my time. Oh, no, that's so good. So good.